I want to welcome all of our listeners to another episode of Minority Report Podcast with Eric and Carell. Each episode, we talk with leaders in business, tech, and media. And today's episode is sponsored by the American Marketing Association, New York, serving marketing professionals in the world's most influential businesses, raising the profile of marketing, and providing professional development and networking opportunities. We're thrilled. Today, joining us is Lori Johnson, who's the founder and CEO at Apera Digital Marketing and the Future of the CMO Programs Chair at American Marketing Association, New York. Welcome, Lori. How are you? Hi, Eric. Great to be here. Thank you so much for having me today. Absolutely. We're excited you're here and we're excited to learn a whole lot more about you and what you're doing today. And, and also, let's start off learning about you, Lori. Lori, where were you born and raised? And tell us a little bit about, about you. Sure. I'm a New Yorker, born here in the tri-state area. Moved to Connecticut at a, at a very young age. I think uh, I was eight or so and have been here ever since. I've tried to leave many times, find myself <laughs> back uh, in New York, but I do love it here. So, you know, traveling a lot really kind of balances the living here for so many years, but definitely a New Yorker. That's awesome. Why is it that you can't seem to escape? Although I think that's a good thing in the long run, but what's kept you from being able to leave? You know, interesting that you bring that up today, close to my heart. I'm a big skier and mm-hmm. um, tried to move closer to skiing several times, one of which was South Lake Tahoe. And I don't know if you've heard, but they are evacuating because of a big fire. That's right. Interesting that you bring that question up today, yeah. but just not being able to find the right mix of not living in the woods to ski and not too far from a city. New York does all of that. So here I am. <laughs> here you are. Lori, uh, you are fluent in Spanish. Yes. And yeah. How about the Mandarin? How are we doing on Mandarin? Ah, that's a different story. Yeah, it's getting there. You know, it's um, it's a lot of fun. I'm a language lover, even of the English language. But you know, one of the things about learning language and talking about diversity, it's really more than just what you see on paper and learning words. And you know, one of the things I've come to learn in learning two languages is that teaching people vocabulary words is the worst way to try to train somebody or mm. to get them accustomed to a language. It really is the culture. You know, there's certain, it's a better way. Uh, one of the things that Mandarin has introduced me to is that there are certain ways you say things, even the best Chinese language teachers will talk about that and explain that that's the way it's said. Don't try to dissect the sentence, but you can carry that over to people yeah. and culture and, you know, some things that we think belong or don't belong or that mm. are right or acceptable aren't necessarily for us to completely understand or judge or mm. determine. We're all humans. We all have an origin that has made us what we are today, and it's all good. It's tremendous. You've spent a lot of time throughout your career and your life really identifying and, and, and working to curtail discrimination in yes. business. Can you talk to us a little bit, a little bit or a lot of it about that? Because you have deep insights there. Please share with us. I love talking about this, as you mentioned, and try to relate a story that happened very early in my life. One of my first jobs, I think I was 13 or 14, uh, babysitting for friends of friends, son, mm-hmm. white family, and having a great time with them. Went out to lunch with the older sister, who was quite older than me, and my charge. We're sitting at the table and he says, wow, two of us are white and one of us is not white. But he didn't say black. He didn't say brown. At that moment, I realized that this kid and me really don't see color. Mm. Because up until that point, that was the first time that 
it was very explicit Mm -hmm. to me that people recognize difference in color. I come from a a town, a city that went to a a mostly white, mostly white schools and actually very mixed. I shouldn't say mostly white, very mixed, majority white. So for that reason, color, culture, food, language, all those things were just just part of being a human being. Mm -hmm. So it's been great that opportunity to answer him in a way that, yeah, you know, we're all, and we're here, we're all having fun. We're having great lunch. And you still friends with that family many, many decades later. It's really what I brought forward in my life is professional life and personal life in that we don't need to necessarily see people in categories that have to do with their color or culture as different, but mm-hmm. to respect and embrace. It's made for a very colorful life. I've also tried to make sure that I'm always there to support in any way I can. It's definitely a spaghetti path of supporting diversity. If you think that you can latch on to one cause or one way of supporting and advocating for diversity, it's really not the case. You really got to be flexible and agile. And so I really just tried to make it my business to to be there. Yeah, those tremendous insights and a way of living and thinking, right? How much of that do you attribute to your family and your own personal experiences having grown up and where you did and just your own sort of family experiences? Mm, Yeah, good question. I think sometimes we wonder how very young people have such strong ideas about race, right? I'm very proud to say that my family, you know, never taught us that any race or color or culture or sex was better than the other. I played with Hot Wheels. I had friends that were Indian. I had many other races and Mm -hmm. my mother's friends were all different colors and shades of people. And we just really loved the life that we lived because of that. We traveled all over the world. It was really a great upbringing. So I credit my family, not just my mom and the rest of my family, but, you know, extended family as well for being that way. And one of the things that we're proud of is, you know, you take a big family picture, like at a reunion or something. Yeah. Yeah. The whole globe. You got the whole globe. (laughs) It's kind of cool. That's awesome. I want to come back to some of your earlier experiences in life, but I also, I want to hear about what's happening at Apera. Tell us about being a founder with Apera Digital Marketing. Yeah. I grew up in corporate America, worked for some of the biggest corporate names and brands and really got my footing in marketing, sales and marketing, marketing strategies, communications, analytics. So I really had a nice broad base with those companies, but was very difficult to grow and expand. So after those early years, I decided to leave. And you know what the thing that really made me leave, Eric, was that I was looking for an agency. I was director of marketing at the time. I was working in the tech and mobile infrastructure and really couldn't find an agency that understood global culture, was interested in understanding and embracing it, and at the same time could articulate what we were doing. Mm. So I saw an immediate need and made my path to establish a para. Yeah, it kind of goes back to, you know, it's just sort of a narrow road of this is the way that we do things and not having the flexibility or the desire to be broader and to really understand that the way that you sell mobile, especially back then in Europe, in Spain, England is very different than the way that you're going to sell it in South America or Mexico Mm -hmm. or North America. And we were in all those places. And so we needed someone that was going to be willing to take that journey with us. Fast forward today, I'm still doing tech, but we've expanded and we're doing 
as of late, a lot of consumers, what we call kind of consumer specialty services. Mm. So what is that? It is insurance, it is healthcare, it is utilities. It's all the things that we all need every day in order to live our lives. Yeah. Healthcare has been a big boom and we've really been doing a lot of that even before COVID. Of course, COVID's accelerated the need for marketing and outreach to diverse communities, but it's a pleasure and like such a win really to kind of almost accidentally land in a place where every day you can advocate for those who are underserved and health equity is such a huge, huge issue that is... Mm-hmm. um really taking shape and really getting noticed now. I was having a conversation with a very large organization yesterday. And one of the things that they're really seeing is that they're stating in their position is that this is just the cusp now. There's so much opportunity to really take advantage of this trajectory, this you know sort of epoch making time of COVID to really focus on serving everybody equitably in mm-hmm. healthcare. So really, it's a privilege. It's been fantastic. That's awesome to hear. Tell me about the future of the CMO programs, Cher. I'm Mm. excited to learn about that. Tell me more about it. Yeah. So the board at AMA New York decided that we need to do more for the CMOs in our community. Our programming was, you know, we're really doing an excellent job in networking and young and rising marketers. But we realized that programming, the, the strategic nature and the delivery of programming, the takeaways, they're obviously very different for a CMO and heads of marketing. So Mm -hmm. We set this up to really attract and meet the needs of CMOs and other heads of marketing. The core of that is roundtables. And what we do in those roundtables is set up an environment where it's you know 15 or so CMOs, more or less, where they can have candid conversations, actionable insights, ask hard questions, get answers to maybe difficult circumstances that they're in, help to sort out the complexities of, for example, a cookie future is a topic that will be addressing in this coming season. We're in season two. We're fashioning it after the way that we consume information. It's video, video, audio, and live remote interactions. And we are able to get groups of CMOs together, as I was mentioning with the roundtable. The topics are Gilles Future, Esports, DEI, and mm-hmm. CPG. So all those four pillars we picked because they are radically changing because of the times that we are living in. So the conversations are huge. The internal need to manage not just marketing that is being strategically planned, but also addressing the needs of their teams internally, really changing. So we're a delight and we're having a lot of fun and great response. You know, season one, we met all of our objectives as far as attendance and engagement was concerned. So we're really going to see a lot more success and ongoing growth in season two. Those are all big. All of those are yeah, huge. huge. <laughs> that roundtable is a fantastic way to be able to sort of tackle big things, right? You don't go at it alone. Right. right? You're not going at it alone. Yeah. And honestly, Eric, you know, there is no lack of these CMO programs, mm-hmm. but the differentiator with AMA New York and others, some are for pay peer groups. Some of them are through consultancies. The goal really is to help to shape thinking of CMOs. What we want CMOs to do is to expand their ability to think, right? Empower them to look at things differently. I would venture to say approximately 40% of the CMOs that have been engaged so far have wanted to continue to have this conversation either with someone in their group or be involved with AMA to serve the marketing community. It's really been a way to build community around marketing. 
That's, that's awesome. I want to ask you about one of them in particular. You mentioned some really big ones there. Okay. I want to ask you about sort of the conversations that you're hearing from others, even mainly around DEI. You know, what are some ways that you're hearing from other folks just about ways to improve inclusivity and all of the things that are important around DEI? What are you hearing about ways that there could be improvements and suggestions? Such a huge mountain to climb. You know, already marketing in the corporate setting, let's take that most like common setting, is a very different sort of entity, right? It is not necessarily a a business unit that serves as a resource. It is a growth unit, but that doesn't really produce the core product, right? So already CMOs and marketing teams have this struggle for appropriate representation internally. When they do work developing their collateral externally, advertising, print, whatever the case may be from a campaign perspective, or and or engage with agencies, they're often doing it on their own. In the organization, it's not clearly understood and internalized what marketing really is and what marketing does. People think, you know, you say marketing, if you're not familiar with marketing, you think advertising, right? You Mm -hmm. think commercials on TV, it's so much more. Mm -hmm. So roll that over now into DEI in a place where the team structure in marketing is 6% people of color and the opposite, you know, 50% white women, a huge percentage, obviously, of white men, and then mostly white men in key executive roles with glass ceilings still very much alive and well. Yeah. As of today, it is a huge undertaking. So what AMA is doing in the DEI program related to the CMO is really trying to help the CMO navigate those waters. There's so many that really want to change things, but they've got so much on their plate. How did they do this? Typically, it lives in HR, DEI. And then it's you know training programs, and they do some amazing work. But to really change the population of marketing candidates and talent within marketing to change thinking, most very common thing that is said is we can't find the minority candidate you need with the skill right, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know, can't find it. It's says, not there. Where is it? Right. It's not there. They are there. So helping them to understand different techniques and tactics and to get to those folks, growing their teams, attracting future rising marketers, recognizing the people of color that are in their teams that really have talent and desire that aren't being developed and trying to figure out why they're not being developed and why are they leaving? Why are they not staying, either staying in marketing or staying with their corporation? So, you know, asking some questions about what are the roadblocks and why do rising marketers leave or or not succeed in their organizations? And what about the composition of the agencies that they hire? When those agencies walk in the door, A, are they representing the minority communities? And B, do you see executives on those agency teams? So it's getting CMOs to kind of talk through why those things exist and coming up with a new creative, right? New creative about how to build those teams. But it's got to be intentional and deliberate actions. Doing the same thing the same way is not going to impact the way that teams are constructed. And it is certainly not going to attract people of color to a industry that they don't see themselves well represented. And there's when there's so many other options, hmm. you know, we're really missing the boat in marketing by not attracting enough you, people of color. That's huge. I want to ask you about how maybe some of your own personal experiences throughout your career and life mm-hmm. helped to inform and guide that. 
Do you use any of those personal moments where you've handled issues of discrimination or even a part of all the things that you just described? Does that help to inform how you help others at times? You know, Eric, going back to the earlier in the conversation, you talked about me leaving to start my own agency. It was exactly that. It was the difficulty in being recognized for all the work that I've done. So case in point, I'm, you know, very quick story. I was working with a pretty established mid-sized company in the mobile space tech company. I was their first marketing hire. So led to build marketing, stand up all of their marketing programs. And remember, this is global, right? Doing this as a, they think they hired me as a marketing manager at the time. Mm. So some time goes by, perhaps a year. And I start to talk about, you know, our accomplishments and that we've grown the, grown the team. We've done like things all, you know, all over Singapore, Asia, Mexico, and brought the company to the brink of, you know, their, their goal was to be acquired or to merge. That was their strategic business goal. Gotcha. So got them to that and even sat in on, you know, helping with some of that. So finally, the person that I reported to brought me into his office and we kind of talked about evolving my role with little change in compensation and basically no change in title. It was like, you know, maybe putting the word senior in front of it. You know, so I, at that time, what I did was I told him exactly what was in front of me in black and white. I said, what you're describing is a different role. I kind of recapped what I have accomplished and we ended the conversation in a professional way. So your question is, how do I bring that into what I'm doing? By really bringing people along, recognizing that sometimes people are underselling themselves, recognizing the potential in others and helping them to, even if it's, you know, a 10 minute conversation, making people really peer into their own capabilities and understand what the possibilities are and working with them and, and keeping the door open. You may not work specifically for this agent or with me on my committees at AMA New York, but I'm always here. Reach out anytime and helping folks and connecting them. And it's amazing that the results that you see. And the other thing too, Eric, too, is on this is not necessarily just for those that may be earlier in their careers with me, even peers, having conversations with peers about having limited expectations of their capabilities. Um, so then some really nice outcomes. That's great points. Very good points. You have access and you work with so many people in the industry and even focused on sort of the future of the industry. And tell me what excites you about the future of the industry. Tell me what gets you super excited as you're always collaborating with so many folks. So I think in general with marketing is it changes every day, right? You never know, you know, what things are really going to be like next quarter. Right. Um, when yeah. it comes to MarTech, when it comes to data, especially the world that we're living now, you know, deliverability, sustainability, all of those things are always at play. Mm -hmm. uh, I love that. I love the job of building strategies that will accommodate those things. In fact, they just published recently, um, we're going to stand up our the AMA New York CMO Resource Hub soon. We just published a couple of really good articles there, one on Cookula's future and another one that I penned on pivots and building pivots into your marketing strategy. It might sound counterintuitive, but it's a necessity. So what does yeah. that mean and how do you do it? So I love turning over these ideas and just really tackling the future and bringing everybody along, working with people that are changing careers or changing industries. And then also making, helping our clients. And, you know, I mean, I'm in an agency. So seeing our clients succeed and the people who are leading there succeed, it's wonderful stuff. Lots That's awesome. 
Lori, I have to ask, you're a chair at the AMA New York, you're a founder, you're, you're a CEO of your own company. How do you manage the sort of work-life balance? Is there such a thing to Lori? Like, like how does that play out for you every day? You know, it's it's a constant work in process, but I do think personally, probably, I don't know, six years ago, I really started to intentionally try to work on being more balanced. And I've come to now a place where I, I see that it is much more of an integrated approach. But I will say that, you know, the takeaway and the thing that I love that works for me, would love to share with those listening today is if you're going to invest time in a venture, whether it's your full-time job, your own agency, volunteering on a board, you know, something that is other than yourself, your own personal health and wellness or your family, make sure that it measures up to your values of equity and equality. Feel good about who and what you're spending time with. And that in itself, it's a natural transition to feeling like you're being balanced because mm. in that environment, in that mix, you can bring your family along in parts. You can have conversations over the dinner table or as you're you know, driving in the car. You know, I had my six-year-old nephew with me for a few weeks earlier this summer and he had an opportunity to, you know, at the level that of course the six-year-old can understand, understand a little bit about health equity. Great healthcare is not something that we can take for granted in helping right. them to. So that's my advice. But the other thing too is also self-care, you know, especially for women. Talk about um, that a little bit. Take care of yourself. Make sure sleep, <laughs> get a, an, an appropriate amount of sleep. Is that mm-hmm. going to happen every day or probably not? Shut down and don't feel guilty about it. Nothing's going to blow up. If things are going to blow up, because you shut down at, a, of course, not at a critical juncture or at, you know at a deadline, right. mm. then you're not getting paid enough. Paid enough. <laughs> so, shut down, get exercise, get good nutrition. Really try to take care of yourself. If you do those basic things, all the other things fall in place and just will and line up like nice dominoes. What's interesting is I, I read an article about self care and all the things that you just mentioned aren't the same thing, right? And what's fascinating is that self-care can be different for each person. It's almost like mm. uh, specific to them, right? And sometimes yes. we think of self-care as this one thing. Yeah, It's really point. diverse in itself, right? It's very diverse, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Every, we that, all have different needs, yes. That's great to hear. People that are important to you, both in your career and maybe even in your personal life, who are some heroes or mentors? You can either say them by name or not. Who are some folks that really you feel made an impact on you? You know, we mentioned earlier, my family, I have an amazing family. You know, there's no way to really adequately talk about them in a way that shows appreciation, but they're always there. We support one another. It's a really positive environment. Lots of good people, lots of smart, successful people. It's been really nice. But professionally, I would say two people. I don't mind mentioning the name of one of them. I don't know if she's listening, but hope she is. Her name is Donna Nelson. She was an early manager of mine very early in my career. She was so generous in sharing her expertise. Really smart, a woman that could make big things happen. She really imprinted a lot of her great behaviors on me. And one of the most important things that she said when I started hiring and I was you know, still reporting to her is, you know, just hire the best person. Mm. Don't, you know, worry about, oh, is it a man or is it a woman? Or if you hire the best person, 
you will have an, the most diverse, balanced team. And it is very true. Amazing. Do you it's pass that on? Do you feel that you pass that on to others and share what you've learned Absolutely. Uh, to others? Yep. And going back to hopefully having CMOs and marketing organizations start to hire differently and groom people differently, hoping and pass that on too. The thing that they really have to overcome is who they see, what resumes they see, what CVs they see, people that apply. The only way that they're going to change that is by changing the way that they source for talent. That's great. What other kind of advice do you have for anyone sort of entering the industry? You shared great insights already. For folks that are newer in the space specifically, what have you learned throughout you know, your career that you feel like you could pass on to them? I think the first thing I would say is, you know, going back to work-life balance, being equitable and diverse is, you know, love what you do. Love what you do. Live it. You can't really be a marketing person and not internalize it to a degree. Yeah. So, and I know you know that, right? You got to like what you do. Pick an industry that you like. There's marketing in everything. There's marketing in, in sports, in tech, in home building, and in, in anything that you can think of. So find the indus- an industry that you love and then don't stop learning. Read, continue to get formal education, learn from other people. You should feel at liberty to take time during your work day while you're getting paid to go online and research topics and read articles. That is part of contributing and becoming a better, more power, giving more power to your organization. That's great. I think a lot of people will learn from that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. A fun question for you, Lori. Okay. All right. It's going to require your phone. Okay. All right. What are Three apps on your phone that you use the most, but they are not email and they are not text. Okay. So <laughs> but one of my favorite, which is you know, is really boring, is a, a spam call blocker called um, Should I Answer? Love there, that. there we go. <laughs> it comes up all the time because you know I don't use it, but it's it's like sort of programmed into the phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pleco is another one. It is for Mandarin ah. le- learning. And then I am a big jotter and collector of information. So a note app, I like, and I use that a lot. Yeah, those, I think those are probably the ones that I use all the time. Love it. That's real life. You got a spam blocker, (laughs) a Mandarin app. Not exciting, (laughs) but... No, that's real real deal. Well, uh, thank you so much for hanging out with us, Lori. A lot of our listeners like to stay in touch and reach out. How are some simple ways that they can find you and stay in touch? Uh, well, certainly they can find me on LinkedIn at Apera Digital Marketing or Lori Johnson. I don't have my LinkedIn handle memorized, sorry, but we, I can give it to you. And they can also reach out to me through AMA New York's. I would say the LinkedIn account is probably the best way. Just message me there or even events at amanewyork.org. They can send an email there. Events, AMA. N-E-W-Y-O-R-K dot org. Awesome. Lori, thank you so much again. And thank you to our sponsor, American Marketing Association of New York, which is serving marketing professionals in the world's most influential businesses, raising the profile of marketing and providing professional development and networking opportunities. Thanks again. And for all of our listeners, thanks for listening to another episode. You can find more episodes where you find all of your audio and video. Just search Minority Report podcast and look for the logo. Thanks, Lori. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you for having me, Eric. What a privilege. Really appreciate it. Excellent.